All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. We've got an important topic for you today. We're going to talk about the wealth tax. And the reason why this is so critical is because this is being pushed by everyone from Elizabeth Warren to Bernie Sanders. There is even polling showing that when the wealth tax is discussed, not just with Democrats, not just with independents, but with Republicans, it gets favorable reviews. And so today, what we're going to do, we're going to do a summary. We're going to talk about what is the wealth tax? Where has it been tried before? Has it worked? What are the benefits or the, or the uh, claimed benefits of a wealth tax? And then we're going to give you the arguments that you need so when you're engaging with someone, you can explain exactly why the wealth tax is problematic and why it's actually going to hurt the poor. This is critical because the, the reason why this has gained some steam, I think, with Republicans or conservatives is because it's advertised one way without any sort of context on what it actually means, right? It's, it's another one of these things that is sold based off of intention rather than actual results. Okay, so we're going to look at the implications and the incentive structure, right? So let's go ahead and get started. What is the wealth tax? Well, there's a lot of different versions of it, but the best way to think of a wealth tax is this. When you think of your net worth, right, you don't just think of how much money you get paid at your job or how much money you get through your business, right? That, that might be your income, but that's not your net worth. Your net worth is basically the, the totality of all of your assets, right? It could be your home, your car, you know, artwork that you have, stocks that you own, all right? All of those things go into what your net worth is. And the push behind the wealth tax is predicated on this idea that the rich don't pay their fair share. Now, we've already talked in another episode about how, if you look at who pays the taxes and how much they're paying, bottom line is the top 50% of income earners in the United States essentially pay all of the federal income tax. Now, all of us pay things like sales tax or gas tax or things like that. But when it comes to federal income tax, the top 50% pay about 97% of all of the revenues that the government is getting. All right. In fact, if you're in the bottom 40%, generally speaking, when you look at all the different wealth transfers and the different programs, you're a net recipient of tax dollars as it pertains to the federal income tax, okay? But people pushed and said, well, wait a second, it's not fair. Okay, yeah, Jeff Bezos over the last four years maybe made $4 billion and he paid $1 billion in taxes. And okay, maybe that's a lot, but he's worth $109 billion. And if only, if only politicians could tap into that wealth, 
they would be able to spend this money in such a way that benefited more people. They'd be able to address income inequality, et cetera, right? So that is what's one of the main pushes behind the wealth tax. It's this idea that it will A, lower income inequality, and B, provide more revenue to the government in order to do good things, right? So that's what the wealth tax is, right? It is a tax on those assets. Now, the way a lot of these taxes work is it doesn't mean that they tax all of your net worth. A lot of it is associated with different property. It can be associated with um, stocks that you own and, and things of that nature. Um, and that's the way it's largely been implemented in Europe. In fact, two decades ago, there was 12 countries in Europe that had a, some sort of wealth tax right, that would kick in at, at some rate. So for some countries, it might kick in when you made more than $170,000 a year. Uh, the one that Elizabeth Warren has suggested doesn't kick in until you're a multi-multi-millionaire. And again, that's one of the reasons why they sell this to the general population at large, because they think, okay, you're going to impose a wealth tax, the government's going to get more money, but it doesn't affect you personally. And, and again, we're going we're to see some of the problems with that. So you've had about a total, again, 12 countries in Europe that instituted some sort of wealth tax. Now, here's the question we have. If the benefits of the wealth tax is about generating revenue for the government and lowering income inequality, there's a couple of things we have to ask ourselves, right? One is, are, are these goals important? Are there something that we, we actually want to do? And then how do they actually do it? What sort of incentive structure is created, right? I've talked about this a lot. Good intentions, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. What sort of incentive structure is being created? All right, and what we saw in a lot of these European countries is they instituted a wealth tax was a couple of things. One, it was really, really expensive to administer. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, okay, why is it expensive to look at someone's stock portfolio and then just take a percentage of it? Well, because it wasn't just your stock portfolio, right? It was looking at the, you've had a Pablo Picasso. Now the taxing agency within the government had to become subject matter experts on a whole host of, of property or things that you owned within your, your net worth. And they had to be able to assess that in order to determine what the tax would be, right? So the more things that were included uh, within the tax, the more subject matter expertise they required in order to determine what that looked like. Not to mention the fact that, you know, some of this stuff might be easy to hide. And so it requires more tax officials being able to dig into your privacy or dig into your life in order to figure out what exactly do you own. And to give you an idea on how something like that works on a, on a kind of a lower local level, we have a situation in Virginia where you actually have taxing authorities that will go onto your Facebook page and, oh, here's my new tractor or here's my new this. Well, they're assessing that, right? Now, now they have evidence that you have a new piece of capital equipment or you have some sort of you know, new thing that can be taxed within the system. And so they're able to identify that, but that requires man hours, right? It requires people to go through, drive to certain locations, inspect uh, things, uh, search different websites, search social media in order to figure what it is that you own that they can now, that is now subjected to the tax. Right, so the administration of the wealth tax proved to be very, very expensive in a lot of areas. Right, so that, that was one detriment to it. Another problem was this idea of how much revenue was actually generated. So in, in most of the countries, and, and it's important to note here that out of the 12 countries two decades ago that had wealth taxes in, in Europe, we're really down to about three that, that have like a net wealth tax and then there's a couple others that have significantly modified theirs to where now they're only taxing certain forms of net worth, 
right? So it, it's significantly, those countries that implemented it 20 years ago, only about three are fully implementing it now. And then there's a couple more that also do that. And here's what they found is that in, in overwhelming cases, it actually accounts for a very, very small portion of the revenue. It's not like this is generating you know, trillions of dollars or that this is taking a huge you know, portion out of the budget that can now be funded as a result of this wealth tax. All right, so expensive to administer, and then it doesn't bring in a whole lot of revenue. So the question is, is that why doesn't it bring in a whole lot of revenue? Well, here's one of the things we've realized about instituting a wealth tax is that if you're going to tax someone based off of assets that they own, and let's use stocks as a perfect example here. So if you get, you know, when you get paid for whatever it is you do, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you're an employee, whatever it is, when you get paid, you get taxed on your income. When you then go in and buy products and services, you get taxed again, usually through a sales tax, right? And there's a variety of other taxes that you might be sub subject to, like property taxes for your local government or whatnot. I want you to consider now that we, we've taken all of those taxes and you take what's left over from, from your paycheck and you buy some stocks. Maybe it's because you want an investment for the future. Maybe it's because you believe in a particular business model. Generally speaking, people buy stocks because they want to forego their current spending, right? And so instead of taking that money and going to the movies or going to buying a car, whatever, they want to take that and they want to invest it in something that they think is going to yield them a profit in the future. Okay, but that investment component is very, very critical to a healthy economy because most people that start a business don't have all the money that they need up front. And this is especially true for lower income or middle class people that are trying to start a business, right? It's not as if they can go into their own piggy bank and then just pull out, you know, $100,000 to start something they require on private investment. Right? And especially with publicly traded companies, that's when you get to a point where now you're you're creating a venue where millions of people can invest in your company if they think you've got a good business model or they like the goods and services that you're producing. So you've paid all your taxes, you've taken what's left over and you've decided to invest in stocks, right? Maybe it's Apple, maybe it's Microsoft, maybe it's, you know, whatever, precious metals. You've invested in, in some sort of company. Now the stock market fluctuates, right? You, one day your stock might be worth one amount, one day it might be worth another amount. Okay, so that, that's the first thing that, that causes some issues with the wealth tax. But think about what's going on right there, right? Like, unlike, like if you went and bought a TV and then you came home and you're watching your TV and then all of a sudden the government sent you a letter saying, hey, by the way, we're going to tax you on the value of your TV every year, you'd be furious, right? It's even worse when we're talking about stocks because at least when you bought the TV, you're actually enjoying the TV. When you buy the stocks, you're not necessarily enjoying anything that comes from the stocks, all those stocks really represent is future revenues that you can be able to pull on in order to buy things. But until you've actually sold the stock, right, then you don't actually have any money that, that you can go and use to buy the things that you want, right? And so that's what we call an unrealized gain. So you're, let's say your stock goes up 20% over the year. So yeah, you've got 20% more wealth with respect to that stock, but that doesn't mean you've got cash on hand to go buy what you want. But if the government comes in and says, oh my gosh, your net wealth within this stock increased 20%, we're going to take the total amount of the stock assets that you have, and now we're going to tax you on that. Well, if, if you don't have the additional money to pay that tax, what do you got to do? Well, you've got to sell off some of your stock, right? Or, or if they're taxing a, a rental property that you own and, and you don't have the money for it, you might actually have to sell the property in order to buy, in order to pay 
your taxes associated with the wealth tax. And so what sort of incentive structure does it create? I want you to think about this. What sort of incentive structure does it create when the government is now taxing your investments, not based off of capital gains, not based off of money that you've gotten from selling an asset, but just by holding the asset, just by owning it, does that incentivize you to invest more or does it incentivize you to spend more, right? It definitely incentivizes you to spend more. It doesn't encourage you to invest. And in, in fact, depending on how, how well you're doing with your investments, you might find yourself in a position where you're constantly having to sell off assets to pay the taxes for the remaining assets you own. For, despite the fact that you already paid taxes on that money in the first place when you bought the stock and you're going to pay money on that stock again when you sell it. Now they want to tax you essentially in between just for owning it. And the real important question to ask is when that money is in a stock, what is it doing? Right? Because I think some people got this image in their head that it's like Scrooge McDuck with a huge you know, vault full of gold coins that you're swimming in. That's not what's going on at all. That money has been used by a company to hire people, to innovate, to provide products and services, to expand their supply chain, right? There's any number of things that that company was able to use with your money in order to advance or even become possible in the first place. And so now if you've been disincentivized to invest, there's now less money available for those private sector companies to be able to start up, expand, you know, do all the things that we want to see done within the marketplace in order to provide us with the goods and services that make our lives better. So how do people avoid that, right? Because obviously this is, I, I hope by now you're re recognizing that this is kind of a bad deal. And it's not just a bad deal for wealthy people. It's a bad deal for everybody that relies on that private investment to start a business, expand a business, et cetera, right? It's bad for them as well. Because now if I'm the wealthy person, I'm thinking to myself, you know, my gosh, I, it, if I invest money, I get hammered. If I spend money, I get hammered. So what do I do? Well, you move to a different place that doesn't tax you the same way. And you see this within the United States all the time where you see people moving from high tax states to low tax states. And, and people want to, you know, make it out like this is somehow nefarious or bad or evil. No, it's just you want to be able to keep more of what you earn and private investment is good for everybody. Now, do we have any practical examples? Now, because you, you, you could be thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, that sounds good, but how many people are actually going to pick up and move just because they're, they're paying more in, in taxes? Well, in France, between about 2000 to 2012, it's estimated that they lost 43,000 millionaires. So that's 43,000 French citizens that either moved or took their, their capital investment and they invested it somewhere else where it wouldn't be punished by a wealth tax. And this was so bad that it actually led France to get rid of their wealth tax. Because even if the government could say, all right, it's expensive to administer, but hey, we're making a little bit of money off this tax. How much money are you losing within the economic development of your country by having the equivalent of 43,000 millionaires pick up and move their money somewhere else. Because the money that those millionaires were investing in, in private businesses, that resulted in jobs, that resulted in sales taxes, that resulted in income taxes. So there's all these other you know, ancillary second and third order effects that are affecting your tax revenue because you decided to tax someone in a ridiculous and absurd way. 
right? So again, it's not as if we don't know what happens when you institute a wealth tax. People end up leaving or investing less or moving their money somewhere to where it's not going to be taxed at the same rate. Now, here's the scary part about this. The Washington Post, uh, Elizabeth Warren, they've all come in and said, well, yeah, we know how Europe did it. And in most cases, they don't like the way Europe did it, either because it, it taxed people at a much lower income than what Elizabeth Warren is suggesting, or um, you know, b- people had the ability to leave or move their money somewhere else, and so they weren't able to get all the revenue they wanted. And so Elizabeth Warren has come up with this idea like, that, okay, she knows how she's going to keep the money here. She knows how she's going to prevent you from moving still invest, um, and then the government takes more money. And the way that she's going to do it, and this has been suggested from a couple different areas, one is they're trying to push for a global tax. So it's the idea that no matter where you go in the world, they can still get your money, right? And and that decreases the incentive of moving from a high-tax place to a low-tax place. The other thing that they're suggesting is that if you move, then the government can confiscate up to 40% of the taxable assets, I want you to think about this real quick because this is critical and I'm going to give you a parallel here. I want you to imagine that a Republican came up with an idea that said, if you want to immigrate to the United States, then as soon as you get to our soil and become a citizen, we get to confiscate 40% of your worth, your net worth, 40% of it. We could just take it. Now, would we say that's something that encourages immigration or discourages it? I think we'd all say it would discourage immigration. But here's why this is even worse. And, and I'm, I'm going to draw another parallel for you. What Elizabeth Warren is trying to say is that if you want to leave, we're going to come in and confiscate 40% of those applicable assets. This is, this is almost the equivalent of a border wall, right? In one sense, you have a border wall that protects you from people coming in illegally. And then you have border walls like the Berlin Wall, which was there to prevent their own people from leaving. This is essentially setting up a financial border wall that says if if it has gotten so bad that you want to leave the country, we're going to come in, the government is going to come in and forcefully confiscate 40% of the assets that fall within the tax. 40% 40 of those assets. Does that sound like a free country to you? I mean, that just sounds borderline totalitarian to me. Like, like, yeah, you can come, you can make money, you can build up wealth, and you can pay all these taxes. But if it ever gets to the point where we're taxing you so much that you feel like it would be advantageous to move somewhere else, we're going to come in and right off the bat confiscate almost half of your wealth. But that's what they're suggesting in order to implement this. And, and the, the crazy part about this to me it is not all of the, the, obvious, the obviously bad things associated with this. The fact that it's a multi-level of, of taxation. The fact that you're getting taxed multiple times essentially on, on some of the same money. It's not that you're getting taxed in such a way that completely dissuades you for engaging in private investment. It's, it's not the, just the fact that now they're, they're trying to come up with schemes that would punish you if you want to leave the country as a result of, of tax policy or, or other policies. Right? It's not just that. All, of that. all of that is bad enough in and of itself. I think the wealth tax is bad because of what it promises to do. So again, going back to the two things that we said earlier, right? it's going it's to lower income inequality 
and it's going to raise more revenue for the government. And again, the only way the government raises revenue is by taking it out of the private sector and putting it into government coffers for politicians to be able to spend instead of you. So let's, uh, if, if that's the benefit that we're supposed to receive from this tax, which we know is going to be expensive to administer, which we know is going to discourage investment, which comes with a whole bunch of draconian processes in order to try to make it work, and the only benefit we're getting is lowering income inequality and more revenue to the government, let's look at the first one. Let's look at income inequality, because this has now been, been used as if it's obvious that income inequality is a bad thing. Now, I want to make something very clear. Income inequality that is a result of oppression or fraud or theft or injustice or, or government cronyism, I agree, that's all bad, right? That is somebody that essentially stole or took by force the property of someone else in order to enrich, them, enrich themselves. That's bad. That is, that is a negative form of income inequality. But income inequality that takes place is a natural result of people having different priorities, different skill sets, or making different decisions within their life. Not only is that not a bad thing, it's not an unjust thing, that can actually be a just thing. Think about that for a second. Right, if, if you go to school for years to become a brain surgeon, you're, you're probably going to make a lot of money if you're pretty good at what you do. And the reason why you're making a lot of money is because the demand for your skill set can be very, very high with respect to the supply. There aren't a lot of brain surgeons running around. So, of course, there's going to be more money given to that person providing that useful service. If you're the sort of person that has set up a company which provides products and services to millions, if not billions of people all over the world, that is very, very valuable. Now, if, if you decide to do a different job, it, it might even be a, a good job, right? Maybe you're a police officer. Maybe you're an elementary school teacher. I think most of us would say that there's there's can be some very good moral incentives behind doing that kind of work. But what we know about economics is the number of people capable of running a, a massive worldwide company or the number of people providing you know, um, you know, complex computer coding or brain surgery is less than the number of people that can do other professions. And that's why they don't get paid as much. It's not because their job is any less morally valuable. It's not because they're any less valuable as a person. It's purely because the labor that they're doing, the product of that labor, okay, has either more supply and less demand, right? That, that's what it comes down to. Right? This, this is not necessarily a, a, a moral... Um, you know, discussion on their choice of occupation. What would be unjust is that if you went in and you told somebody that was providing an incredibly valuable service, that they would now have to make the same amount as someone that was providing another service that wasn't in the same amount of demand. You would actually be disincentivizing for people to go into complex or difficult occupations or potentially dangerous occupations because you're not disincentivizing, you're, you're not recognizing the risk and the difficulty associated with what they're doing. And that's the problem we have. So when, we when someone just throws out there, oh, this is going to lower income inequality, the first question that you should ask back is, explain to me why you think income inequality is a bad thing. Because if, if they say, well, there's fraud, waste, abuse, okay, great, then we agree on that. But this wealth tax doesn't address that. But if they just say that, it, well, it's, everybody should make the same amount, no one really believes that. If you'll notice that, no one really believes that every occupation should be paid the exact same amount. No one thinks that a janitor should be paid the same amount as a brain surgeon. 
That doesn't mean the janitor is less value as a person. It just means that that particular work does not meet the same supply and demand criteria as the person doing the brain surgery. And to say that those two people should make the same amount of money simply disincentivizes people from going into an occupation that society needs. But because you're not compensating at what, in accordance with all the complexity, difficulty, risk, you know, danger, et cetera, because you're not compensating for that, you're not going to get as many of it. And society is poorer as a result. So that, that's why I say when someone just throws out income inequality as if this is some sort of standalone thing that we should all just immediately acknowledge that any sort of income inequality is bad, you need to ask them to define their terms because, I'm, again, I am willing to bet the vast majority of people running around out there saying, oh, income inequality. Don't honestly believe that everyone should be paid the same amount for the work that they're doing. Right? There, there is going to be differences in pay based off of the complexity, difficulty, and value of what you actually do to the people at large. And as long as it's free people in a free market situation, voluntarily engaging in exchange, then someone making more money is not a bad thing. It's merely a reflection that we as a, we as a people have decided to make that person wealthy, not because we loved them or because we wanted to give them an advantage. We did it because they were doing something that brought value to our lives. Right? They, they found a way to use scarce resources, rather, whether it's natural resources, whether it's time, whatever it is. They found a way to use scarce resources in an efficient way to produce products and services that made our lives better. And so we essentially voted to make them wealthy by spending our dollars on whatever it is they were providing. And we want to encourage people that are the best, that whoever's best at producing things efficiently, we want to encourage that sort of behavior. Right, so income inequality in and of itself it is not a bad thing. It's just a reflection of, of the different priorities that we all have and the different preferences we all have with respect to the goods and services we want. Right, so there's, there's nothing wrong. That's point one. Point two, and this goes into more revenue for the government. So I, again, I got to ask this question. <clears throat> is more revenue for the government really what we want? Like as we're looking at the, the massive amounts of money that the government takes in right now and spends poorly, right? Some of it may be spent on legitimate functions of government. Some of it may be spent on things that are not legitimate functions of government. But even the things that they do spend on services that we all generally associate with the government, whether it be the military or law enforcement or roads or education, there is massive amounts of fraud, waste, abuse, and, and just spending that doesn't make any sense with respect to politicians spending it. Why is that? Well, because politicians aren't spending their money on something they're necessarily going to use. They're spending your money. And so that, that naturally creates a huge level of inefficiency with respect to how dollars are spent. So this idea that we would all be better off if we took money out of the private sector and gave it to politicians to spend on our behalf Right? I, don't, I don't buy into that, especially not when I see a government spending money on a number of things that the government should have nothing to do with. And then even on the things the government should have something to do with, they do a bad job of spending the money. They're not efficient. They're not effective. Right? They end up spending money based off of political incentives as opposed to what might be the best use case for that particular dollar. So even when you look at the two potential benefits of the wealth tax, Right, completely disregarding all the problems with it, the two potential benefits don't make any sense. So let's do a summary now. 
right? Because again, this, what's the title of the show? Making the argument. So I want to help you make the argument. So you're engaging in a conversation with somebody and they come in and they tell you, you know, I think the wealth tax would be a good idea. The, the rich don't pay their fair share. And this is a way in order for the government to take that, that money away, redistribute it in a way that, that's better for society as a whole, instead of for one person just accumulating so much wealth. The first thing that we want to do is we, we want to ask questions, right? So the first question that we ask again is, can you tell me what you think is wrong with income inequality? Make them define their terms. Okay, can you tell me why you think it would be better for the government sector to have more money based off of the spending trends that we see within the federal government versus the private sector having that money, right? So right off the bat, you're addressing the two things that they think are their strongest arguments for the wealth tax. You're addressing their points first. Then you go into asking another series of questions. And that is, do you think if we tax wealth, if we force people to sell off stocks, or if we sell off capital equipment, or if we sell off things that are currently being used to produce opportunities, do you think that makes the world better for poor people or middle-class people? Or do you think it makes it worse off for them? If, if we're actually punishing investment in the private sector, do you think that makes the people that rely on that investment to run their businesses or to get a job or to find new opportunities, do you think it makes them better off or worse off? The next question I like to ask with this is, are you aware that the wealth tax has been tried in other countries, notably in 12 different countries in Europe, and most of them have gotten rid of their wealth tax, right? Because it's expensive to implement and it discourages the investment we talked about before in the first question. The third point, that we want to bring up because this is most likely the way they're going to respond. And they're going to say, well, yes, I think the government spends you know, money better or, or we can create more equality. Maybe they, they still believe that. But the way we're going to set up the wealth tax is that it only applies to the super rich. And we're going to make it where they can't leave the country and take their wealth with them. That's the part where you ask the question of, well, wait a second. Are you really telling me that we should have a system where if somebody wants to leave the country, because they are being made worse off, that you think the government should come in through the threat of violence and coercion and immediately confiscate up to 40% of their wealth. If someone were to immigrate into the country and were to demand 40% of their wealth, you would probably say that we're ripping them off. But now if they want to leave the country and we're going to take all that, you, you think, do you think that's just? You know, assuming that person has earned their money through honest labor, through honest voluntary cooperation in the marketplace, do you think it is just to be able to wipe out 40% of what they've earned through their work just so they can leave? And when you, when you ask these questions, again, you're, you're opening up the person that is advocating for the wealth tax within their own presuppositions about both the benefits and the cost associated with what they're going to do. And that's really important because the, the part that worries me about this is that conservatives are being sold a bill of goods with respect to the wealth tax. And what this really comes down to is politicians attempting to foster a sense of class warfare based off of good marketing, but really bad argumentation. And in the end, the people that are going to be hurt the most by this, you, you're going to find this out right. It's not going to be the wealthy. The wealthy, will always, they have the resources available to find some way to avoid it. Even if you pass some of these additional laws where you say that we're going to, you know, we're going to keep you from leaving or whatever else, they're still going to find ways to get their money where it needs to be so that they can leave and get to a place that isn't punishing them for their success. 
But when they do, the end result is going to be less investment. The end result of less investment is going to be fewer economic opportunities for all of us. Right? Take 40% of their wealth, they'll still be able to go to a beach somewhere and drink Mai Tais for the rest of their life. But for the rest of us who no longer have access, not just to the, the wealth they might have had at one given moment in time, but to the creativity and the mind that created all that wealth by finding good opportunities, we've lost that as well. And that is not going to be replaced by Elizabeth Warren taking 40% of their assets and redistributing it in a way that helps her get reelected. So that's a once over on the world and the wealth tax. I hope this has been helpful. If you have questions, um, I, I'm going to give you some different things that you can research right now. So we, we got some notes for you. Tax Foundation has some really good information on this. Uh, the Foundation for Economic Education has some really good uh, follow-up information on the wealth tax. Also, NPR. NPR has a lot of articles on this. The Washington Post, um, within their articles supporting the wealth tax, actually reveals why it's a bad idea if you're reading carefully. So there's a lot of resources out there. But again, I think Foundation for uh, Economic Education, you can go onto their website, hit on their search bar, hit wealth tax. They got a lot of really good articles in there that have been really well sourced. A lot of good input from economists. Uh, tax Foundation really, really focuses on tax policy in the United States, but across the world and, and, and demonstrating you know, how taxes work based off of the incentives, not just the, or, uh, not just the intentions of the policymakers. All of those are really good resources. We used a lot of those uh, for today's Making the Argument episode. So once again, thank you for sticking with us. Please like and share, like and share, give us some comments, let us know. If you think everything I just said was garbage, great. Leave me a comment on either YouTube and Facebook and I'll be happy to go on there and we can duke it out. So once again, I'm Nick Freitas from Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us and oppose the wealth tax at all costs. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.